Excited to continue our study of Jonah this morning. If you have your Bibles, you go ahead and turn there. Uh, We called this study, as you may remember from a couple of weeks ago, uh, we're in the same boat. And the same boat exists because so many times when we look at the life of Jonah, we see things I think that we relate to pretty well. If, If you think about it from the standpoint of the fact that oftentimes we find ourselves maybe wanting to run from the Lord, maybe hide from the Lord, perhaps even... Uh, unwilling to do what the Lord has called us to do. And so we talked about what it's like to be in the same boat. When we opened this series, we kind of looked at three different callings that God gives us. There's one that we're always trying to answer, which is, God, what is your will for my life? Vocationally, you know, what do you want me to do? What, What skills, gifts, and abilities have you given me that I can serve you in the world. And we talk about that maybe as we try to find where we feel like God's leading us. Then there's that general call that God gives us. You may remember we talked about that, that that God has called all of us to go into all the world and make disciples, preaching the gospel. And so that's the general call given to us. And and that covers every one of us. No one's exempt from that. That's not a professional calling. It's not for the pastors, not for your Sunday school teachers, not for missionaries. It's for us. It's for all of us to do. And then we talked about what it meant for God to give us specific callings in our lives, where we see a need and God kind of pushes us towards that, or we see something that we need to do and God begins to put that on our hearts. And as we respond to the Lord in those things, God blesses us. Uh, Today, I want us to really examine this incredible passage from Jonah chapter one, because I think what we'll see in there is the incredible links that God is willing to go to accomplish his will. His will will be accomplished. It will be accomplished in your life. It will be accomplished in my life. Uh, Paul writing in the Philippian letters says that the great thing that God had started in our lives is going to be accomplished because God is faithful to do that. He will do it. God's will will be accomplished in the world, no matter our best efforts to thwart it. So let's read verse four of chapter one, and we're going to complete chapter one today in our reading. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots. Then we will know who is to blame for the trouble we're in. So they cast lots and the lot singled out Jonah. They said to him, tell us who is to blame for all this trouble we're in. What is your business and where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? He answered them, I'm a Hebrew I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, what is this you have done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you so the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with innocent blood for you, Lord, have done just as you plead. Then they picked up Jonah 
and they threw him into the sea. And the sea stopped its raging, and the men were seized by great fear of the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We talked about Jonah being on the run a couple of weeks ago and how the place where he was supposed to be going and the ship that he boarded were diametrically opposed in direction. They weren't even in the same zip code, ballpark nation. He was running as far away as he could from the Lord. And as one pastor has described it, I love what it says in in verse three, it said, he paid the fare and went down into the ship. He paid the fare and went down into the ship. It's interesting, this pastor said, Jonah paid the fare, but he didn't realize what it was going to cost him. Have you ever paid a fare but not realized what it was going to cost you. You know, maybe you bought something and you thought this will be fun. It'll be, it'll be nice to have this thing. And then you realized it was a money pit and you were throwing money. You paid the fare, you paid the price, but it exacted more than you ever thought it was going to out of your life. And that's what Jonah had. He's on the run. But Jonah is also in a storm. And I had a professor once tell me, and maybe you've heard this, That in our lives as believers, most often we're either in a storm, coming out of a storm, or getting ready to go into a storm. There's not much of your life that's really lived where everything is just great. At my house, we talk about it like this. The wheel of life sometimes has you on top and you're riding really high, but be careful because pretty soon the wheel, it'll roll right over you, doesn't it? And that's how it is. And then you kind of, things get a little better and you roll to the top, roll to the bottom. That's just how it is. But this is different, isn't it? Because Jonah is actually the architect of his own storm. He's the one who's responsible for his own storm. And and oftentimes we find ourselves in trials and tribulations. And what I hope we come away with today is the difference to know or the wisdom to know the difference between the storm that we're in, whether that's something that God is using to chasten us, to, to chastise us, to discipline us, or if that's something that God is using to build our faith. Because storms can't be avoided in all aspects. You're never gonna get rid of them. They're always gonna be part of your lives. Do you remember that Jesus uh, told the disciples, you're gonna have trouble in this world. But fear not, I've overcome the world. That's a different kind of trouble, isn't it, than what Jonah finds himself in. One can't be helped, one certainly can. And I want us to look at this. The the first thing I want you to see, and, and maybe you say it with me, you've heard this popular expression, you can run but you can't. You're wrong. That's not what it means in this passage. <laughs> of course, that's exactly right. You remember last week we looked at this, and, or two weeks ago in Psalm uh, chapter 139, verse 7 through 12. It said, where can I flee from your presence? Where, you can't hide from the Lord, right? But, but Jonah's in a little bit different thing. It's not just that you can't run and hide. You're never going to be able to get away. You can run, but listen to this. God will oppose you. That's different than you can run, but you can't hide, isn't it? You can run, but God will oppose you. When God opposes us, that's the big takeaway. There's nowhere that you can hide from him, but it's worse than that. It's not just that you can't hide from the presence of the Lord as Jonah has announced his intention to do to these sailors. I'm running and fleeing from the presence of the Lord. It's not just that you can't hide from the Lord, but when you try to do that, God will actively oppose you. I want you to see verse four with me again. The the language there's a little bit maybe stronger than what we would see. It said the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea. The original language there is that the, the, the Lord hurled the storm. 
if you have a little child and you're teaching them to learn how to catch a ball, you throw it to them. That's different than hurling it at them, right? You know, you, here, catch the football. Whack! You know, it doesn't work that way. There's, there's some deliberate emotion behind that word that, that has some ferocity backed up behind it. And that's different than to throw, isn't it? I mean, to throw seems like, well, that's pretty bad. But to hurl the storm, now you're seeing the divine opposition about what God was doing to oppose Jonah. And you notice that these are not just, you know, some noobs who got in a boat and decided to row out into the, into the sea. These are professional sailors. And the scripture uses the same word to describe them at three different points, same thing. It said they were afraid. Fear, terror gripped their lives. Three different times. And the first one is when the storm is not lessening for them despite their best efforts. What have they done? They've thrown the cargo over trying to lighten the boat. They're gonna row harder and they're still afraid. I mean, th these are professional sailors who are seeing something that is unusual. In fact, it's divine. Because storms happen, but this isn't a normal storm. It's opposition. It's the Lord in his steadfast will saying no. This is not where you're going. You thought you could escape. You cannot leave where I have sent you, no. When God says no, he's opposing our disobedience. You can't ask God to bless disobedience. It doesn't work. Have you ever tried it? I have. Have you found it to be just as fruitless as I have? You, 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 you know that you're not making the right decision, but Lord, please, if you would, just bless this. Help me get out of this. Help me do this, Lord. Help, help me make this work. And God says, no, no. It's opposition, the divine opposition. And the interesting thing about it is, is that oftentimes God lets you get a little bit of rope before you hang yourself. Do you remember the prodigal son? Father, I would like you to give me my inheritance because I'm ready to get out of here. I've had enough of working on the farm. I've had enough of being around you and my brother. I'm ready to, to split and he goes and he lives on that money. And you remember what the scripture said? He spent his money in reckless ways, reckless living. Sounds pretty fun for a minute. Till the money runs out. And you find yourself wishing you could eat what pigs were being fed, right? It's, it's a stated opposition that God has when we're outside of his will. And when that happens, there's no more resourcing for that. There, there's no more resourcing for Jonah, but God didn't prevent him from getting on the boat. God let him get on the boat. God lets him set sail. And Jonah's either a fatalist or he's just resigned because he just goes to the bottom of the boat and goes to sleep. And it's kind of like, let's sink this thing. It doesn't matter. I'm done. Everybody else is, is trying to get the boat back to land and Jonah doesn't care. But he should have because... What we see in a storm where God is in his settled opposition against us is that others are affected. Would you read verses seven through 10 with me again? It said, come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast, let's cast lots and then we will know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. And so they cast lots 
And the lot singled out Jonah. And then they said to him, tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business and where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? And he answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And then did you notice what happens? The men were seized again by what? A great fear, terror. They're afraid. A second time it says this. Because the men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. The casting of lots is an interesting thing in the scripture. Uh, it's a, maybe closest thing that we could think about it would be like uh, all picking a number and we have a, a, a die or, or some dice and you know, I have a number, you have a number, and we say, we're gonna see whose number comes up here and who's to blame for this, and we roll it, and I'm number one, and it's like, dude, it's number one, it's you. They oftentimes did something like that. Uh, sometimes people would have their own little uh, piece of, uh, of rock or bone assigned to them, and they would kind of put it all in there and throw it out and, and see how it would come out. And, and this features prominently in the scripture. If you remember in the book of Joshua, uh, there was a man named Achan who had sinned against the Lord by keeping some things they were told to destroy and, and he's brought out by lot, it says. And then it, it features prominently again when the soldiers at the foot of the cross cast lots for Jesus' robe. They said, don't tear this thing apart, it's nice. Let's cast lots for it instead. And then kind of the final time that it really features prominently again is in the book of Acts, after Judas is dead, do you remember how they chose the next disciple that would replace him? They cast lots. There were two guys, and they said, we'll cast lots for you guys and, and see how that is. And you say, well, should I get a pair of dice and keep them in my pocket? And No, you shouldn't. Why is that? Well, if you think about it, after Acts chapter two, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes, the counselor who guides us into all truth, and, and there's no need for you to cast lots. You've got the, the counselor who gives wisdom to us. We've got the word of God. And so as you're thinking about your next decision, please don't roll dice, flip coins, do those. I mean, why don't you call on the maker of heaven and earth and ask the Holy Spirit to help you through that, and, and, and it'll happen. But I want you to notice something, because just like Achan and his sin in the book of Joshua, Jonah's sin was affecting others. It's always wrong-headed to think no one is going to be affected by this but me. I can get away with this. If it doesn't work out, it'll just be me. It never works out that way because we are all interconnected. In Achan's case, his family was blotted off the face of the earth because of his sin. In Jonah's case, pagans who had no part of what he was doing, they're just on a trip, are now brought into this storm and their lives are in danger as well. And so it's important for us to see that Jonah's sin, just like our sin, affects others that are around us. A leader's sin has far-reaching implications and complications for what goes on. A number of years ago, I had the unfortunate privilege of being part of a staff that had been called new to a church, where the leadership of the church had been involved in sin beforehand. And it was a mess. It was hard to be there and try to undo those things and, and try to make those things right again. Every time we thought we were getting some momentum, you'd turn around and be like, there's another thing here we have to deal with because of what had happened in the past. It's very difficult to do that. It's difficult for us because the sin that we so often dismiss as being not that big of a deal has a huge impact on others. Sin has an impact on you has an impact on your family. It'll have an impact on 
the people that you lead at work that you're responsible for. It has a, an enormous impact on the body of believers that is Judson Baptist Church. It has an enormous impact even on lost people that may come into contact with us. So for us to, to dismiss sin or to act like it's not that big a deal, I mean, Jonah's kind of cavalier, isn't it? He gets on a boat. Where are you headed? From the Lord's presence. No big deal, guys. It'll be fine. Get me out of here. Now they know. They're interconnected with him. Uh, years ago, I was watching a, a, a video that really detailed, and many of you maybe heard of this because it's not that far from us. Uh, north of here in Kentucky is the Asbury College, and there's a seminary uh, associated with it. And uh, during the Jesus movement, the Asbury revival started to take place. And if you've, if you've never heard about it, you ought to look into it. It's, it's a fascinating thing where God really showed up and moved on a college campus, and it began to spread across the United States. And one of the things that, that came out of that was a quote where someone said, we began to realize that sin wasn't done with the doing. See, we like to think, I have sinned. That's it. That's over. No, no, no. I have sinned, and now the outworking of that sin continues, doesn't it? The consequences of that, the effects that it has on my life and the people around me and the people in relationship with me and the people that I bump into, in Jonah's case, it's never just done with the doing. We can't be so cavalier as to act like it's just no big deal. God doesn't care. This won't affect anything. I, I can sweep this under the rug. Nobody will know, and I'll just be able to move on. It just doesn't work that way. Sin is never done with the doing. When I hear that, it's a reminder to me, it's a reminder to you that when Jesus tells us to live holy before the Lord, he's not joking around. And it's not just because, because of the effects of it, but it's because of how we were intended to be in relationship with God the Father. He is holy and we're to imitate him. And imagine in Jonah's life the effect that it had on others because these folks were being dragged down into a storm that was of Jonah's consequence. They're not even believers. But Jonah, still not affected by the storm, continued to have a stubborn heart. What was his stubborn heart? He didn't want to go where God had sent him. He didn't want to be there. God had spoken, go and do this. Not interested. Don't want to deal with those people. Don't want to serve over there, Lord. I'm happy right here. Look at verses 11 through 16. I want you to see if you pick up what I picked up kind of reading and studying this week. So they said to him, what should we do to you so the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. And Jonah answered them, he answered them and said, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will calm down for you, for I know that I'm to blame for the great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, they rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. And so they called out to the Lord, please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with innocent blood for you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. They picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea and the sea stopped its raging. And the men, again, were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Did you, it took me a little while to figure this out, and maybe it's taken you a minute. Is the answer really that Jonah should have been pitched overboard? It worked. 
But nowhere in there does Jonah say, I need to go get right with the Lord and repent. You know, this seal stop if we turn around and you take me back to where I need to go. Take me to Nineveh. Take me back to where the Lord called me. He just says, I'm done. Again, he still doesn't want to do it. His answer is just, I mean, guys, just, just get rid of me. Because to die would be better than go to Nineveh still. He's been that way from the beginning. I want to run away from Nineveh. I'll hide in the boat. I don't care if we die in the storm. And now he says, I don't care if you throw me over. I'll be the sacrifice. Let it be me. He had a chance, but he still wasn't interested. He still wasn't interested in doing what God had called him to do. And instead, it's funny. Did you catch this? He really gives what's known as a reluctant witness, but it was effective. He tells these guys, uh, here's the thing. You guys travel around a lot. You know, I'm a Hebrew. What did everybody in the Old Testament days remember about the Hebrews? How did the Hebrew nation get established? Well, it was because God drowned an entire army from Egypt in the Red Sea. Everyone knew it. Their fame went ahead of them. So when he says that, when he says, yeah, guys, here's the thing. I am a Hebrew. That's me. The maker of heaven and earth is the God I serve. It's a reluctant witness to who this is. They're able to see with their own eyes. They're experiencing this. And when he says this, you gotta remember they're, they're kind of like, I don't know. I mean, do we really wanna just pitch this guy overboard? That feels awful. But they can't do anything better and they just decide, well, if he's willing to go, <laughs> let's let him go. And all of a sudden the storm stops. And the scripture says they became afraid again, third time. But this time they weren't afraid just for their lives, they were afraid and they started to worship. Verse 16, the men were seized by great fear of the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now Jonah, let's be reminded, had been called to go witness to Nineveh, not gonna do it, ends up on a boat, ends up witnessing to some lost people reluctantly and what does God do? He changed their hearts. Jonah was running. Jonah's done. And yet in God's steadfast opposition to his obedience is something that we need to see as well. And that's God's steadfast compassion towards us. Verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish. Was it a whale? I don't know. That seems probable. There's also a, a sea monster in the Old Testament. Remember the book of Job? The Leviathan. What is that? I don't know. Leviathan. That's what it says. I told you I 100% believe that Jonah's writing a firsthand account, not of something he made up, but God appointed a fish for Jonah for three days and three nights. Why? Because God cared about Nineveh just as much as he cared about Jonah but God's plan was not going to be thwarted. See, we, we think oftentimes we can get around what God has for us. We think we can, can run away from that. We can, we can hide from those things. It doesn't work that way. You can't get away from the Lord. You, you can't run from him. You, you can't hide from what he's trying to do and what he wants to accomplish. And when you try to get outside of God's will and we're disobedient to what he's doing... God in his steadfast opposition to our disobedience won't bless that. Well, how do I know, pastor, if, 
I'm in the storms of life or if I'm in the storms of chastisement. Well, there, there's a different storm. Would you maybe turn in your Bible to Mark chapter four? You might be familiar with this passage of scripture because it's often talked about as Jesus calmed the, the raging sea. Mark chapter four, and we'll begin by reading verse 35. Jesus has been teaching, he's been hanging out with a big group and he says on the evening there in verse 35, on that day when evening had come, he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat and other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat so the boat was already being swamped and he was in the stern asleep. Jonah was asleep, did you? Jonah was asleep, Jesus was asleep. So they woke him up and they said, teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Jonah, wake up, get up here. Jesus got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, silence, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And then he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified. Isn't that interesting? The storm ends and you would think everybody's like, whew. And instead it says they were terrified. They were terrified and asked one another, who is this? Even the wind and the sea Obey him. It's a similar storm, different body of water, isn't it? Jesus is headed across the Sea of Galilee. And if you've been to the Sea of Galilee, it's kind of down in depression in a bowl. And it's not unusual. I mean, you can see from one side to the other. It's not that far across. But it's not unusual for afternoon squalls to come ripping off the mountains with this wind and stirs everything up. And it can get pretty perilous very, very fast. Jesus, let's go over to the other side. Get in the boat. He's in the back, asleep. And all of a sudden, the boat starts to take on water. What was the point of this storm? When Jesus stands up and he says, and I learned it like this, maybe you did too, peace, be still. He rebukes the wind, tells the rain to stop, and everything gets calm. Why did he do that? It had a purpose, didn't it? I mean, you think Jesus didn't know what was about to happen? You think Jesus was just blissfully unaware? Do you think it was, it was no big deal? No, there was a purpose to it. He had led them right into the middle of a storm so that he could reveal something about himself. Who is this then that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, the one who it is is the one who created the wind and the sea, right? I mean, there's something about this that Jesus is revealing. He's revealing a little bit about his nature. 
to the disciples. There's something about him that, that they've yet to understand. They, they might think that he's the Messiah. They might be grasping that. But in their minds, Messiah might just be someone who's come to throw off political oppression. And that would be a great thing. Let, let's get rid of political oppression. Let's get our freedom back. Let's get rid of Rome. Come and lead us. That, that would be one thing. But Jesus is showing them that he's so much more than that. He's divine. If even the wind and the sea obey him, he's revealing a little bit about his character, that he is fully God, fully man, and he's brought them into this and he asked them this question, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Well, it's, it's a little bit of a, a question mark about their faith. He's growing their faith in who he is. And you have to understand, right? It, it's little by little growing their faith. I want you to trust me a little more. Trust me for this. Follow me. Watch what happens. Go where I go. Do what I do. See how this works out. That, that's a different kind of thing. Oftentimes in our lives, and, and let's be honest, none of us want to be in storms. Not, I mean, do you? I don't. I've never been in a storm where I thought it was great. I don't like losing power at the house. I don't like worrying about my refrigerator, my freezer, and all that kind of stuff. I don't like it when it's hot in the summer or cold in the winter. I mean, nobody likes a storm. Right? It is, you, you don't sign up for these things and think this would be great. Maybe unless you're like a surfer who wants to get in before the hurricane hits. Then you're excited about the waves. Everybody else is running away. We don't like them, but they're a necessary part of what God does in our lives to shape us. Sometimes it's through the shaping of a storm of chastisement. We have really stepped outside of the will of the Lord and God brings us back in to say, you need to trust me and you need to be right here. I bet this morning, if we went around the room and we could be really honest and we weren't afraid of what might come out of that and, and what people might think about us, we might all be able to say, I have lived through a several of those storms. I, I've been in that. I know what that feels like. I know what it's like when God's stated opposition comes against you and just says, no. Doesn't work. But then there's the other side of it. There's the storm that God leads us into so that our faith can grow, that we can understand a little bit more about who he is, that we can understand a little bit more about his character and his purposes for our lives. The difference is trying to discern which one we're in. I've met a lot of people who incorrectly just attribute everything that happens in their life to God must be against me. You ever met anybody like that? Kind of a Debbie Downer mentality with the Lord. Everything that happens, God hates me, God doesn't love me. If God loved me, he wouldn't bring this in my life. If God, and none of that is true because in either storm, it's only because God loves us that we're in it, right? If it's a, a storm of chastisement and discipline, what does Hebrews say? The Lord chastens those whom he loves. Not whom he hates, the Lord chastens those whom he loves. So if God is, is, is laying heavy upon my soul about something, if you remember what David said that felt like? He felt like, I felt like my bones were being crushed inside of me. You ever felt that way? You know that feeling. I know that feeling. When that happens, that's not because God doesn't love me. That's because God is saying no to something. And he's saying, you need to get back on the program over here. But sometimes in our lives, God just is bringing us through a storm so that our faith can expand, so that we can understand who he is in a deeper way and so that we can learn to trust him. Faith 
builds upon faith. But the wise person has to discern which one is which. Because really, that's everything. And you say, well, how would I know which one I'm in? Jonah didn't have any problem figuring out which one he was in, did he? He didn't sit around and wonder, you know, is God trying to do something in my life? Is he really, is he really revealing something about his character to me? <laughs> no, he looks at those guys and said, y'all better pitch me right overboard because this is all my fault. It, the, the bullseye rests right here. You didn't need to cast lots. Glad that you did. It just confirms everything I've already told you. It's mine. How did he know that? Well, he knew what he had been doing. And he knew he was running. I've done a lot of running in my life. And, you know, people often talk about running as being like the, the, the runner's high that people experience. I think that that's something that runners normally just say to people who don't run to try to justify why they run, honestly. You know, we should all remember that the scripture says in the good King James version, the evil man runneth when no man pursueth. That is biblical and you should think about it, right? Uh, there's something to that. But, but I want you to think about this for a second. It's one thing to run when you know where the distance ends, right? You know, like we're going to go run today and we're going to run a mile. We're going to run three miles. But it's another thing to think I'm going to run from the Lord and really think and maybe try to deceive myself that I can outrun him or I can outlast him. You'll never do it. He has an inexhaustible stamina to pursue you and stay right with you. You can't run from him. So I just say that to us this morning to say that if we find ourselves this morning running from what God has called us to do or, or running away, trying to, to slip away from God's presence and just saying like, I'm not gonna do that anymore. I don't wanna, I don't wanna fool with him anymore. You can't outrun him and you can't exhaust him. He will chase you down. And his opposition towards our disobedience is settled and firm. God's not uh, uh, bought easily. You can't do it. You can't bribe the Lord. You can't pay him off to, to make up for it. It doesn't work that way. But maybe today, the storm that you're in is not because you've been running from the Lord. It's because the Lord ran you right into one so that he could grow your faith, so that he could grow your character and build something in your life. Both storms have the same outcome. Jonah's faith grew, his obedience grew, but boy, it was unpleasant. The disciples had the maker of heaven and earth in the boat with them. Their faith grew, their understanding grew, God used it. I know that maybe you're in the storm today. And maybe it feels like the, the boat is taking on water and 
Uh, it just seems like, uh, Lord, are you asleep back there or what? Do you not see what I'm going through down here? Have you ever felt that way? I think the stories are so important in the scripture because they reveal something about our character too because we're just like these guys. Wasn't it great last week when Dr. Soratow said, you trust Jesus for salvation, but not to take care of you? That seems funny, doesn't it? It's what I always tell you. We, every time we come to a, a giving moment in our church and we talk about tithing, and I say, so you trust God for your eternity, but not with your checkbook. Right. Something's messed up about that. If you find yourself in the storm today, ask yourself the question, Lord, I gotta be honest with myself. I, I know I'm running from you and, and I want it to stop right now and you don't have to throw me overboard. I repent. I'm back. I'm not trying to hide from your presence. I'm moving back towards you. You notice Jonah didn't get just to skip the assignment. We'll find that out after he's been in the belly of the fish. What happens? Back to dry land. He has to go right back to where he was supposed to go. You got to go back. And maybe today you're in the storm and it's really a faith storm and you know it. This isn't because, you know, something happened in your life where you're running from the Lord's presence. It's just a storm and it feels overwhelming. If I could tell you anything about that, it's that God loves you. Never lose sight of the fact that God loves you in the midst of a storm. He's building your faith. He's building your character. He will work all things together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. That's a fact. So I want to do something this morning. I want us to, to bow our heads and and just spend a moment praying and really ask ourselves this key question. If you're in a storm this morning, is it because the Lord is chastening you because he loves you or is it because he's building your faith because he loves you? Would you just go before the Lord right now and Humble yourself before him. Ask him to reveal his love for you. And if there's sin that needs to be dealt with in your life right now, don't be fatalistic about it. Well, throw me over the boat. Let me die. No. Come back to the Lord. Repent. God will resist the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Father, you know our hearts, and many of us in here right now would confess that we feel like we're in a storm, and maybe some of us are having trouble discerning because we've left behind the still, small voice that speaks to us in conviction. Lord, would you speak to us? Lord, maybe you've brought us into this place to get us to trust you more. And Lord, we pray that you would form our character to be the character of Christ. Give us the heart of Christ, the mind of Christ. Lord, give us a faith that trusts you in all things.
we love you. Father, we recognize that you chasten us because you love us. You bring us into storms because you're building us, forming us. God, give us the wisdom to know the difference and the courage to deal with you honestly today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.